You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and I have uh, Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power on the program today. I'm really excited to have Andy on the program. Uh, Andy's the CEO of a publicly traded company that uh, is a $12 billion valuation currently by the market. And, you know, it's a, it's a leader in the hydrogen space. And uh, Andy, I'm uh, glad to have you on the show. Great to be here. And thanks for having me, Matt. Well, tell us a little bit, Andy, about your journey to getting to Plug Power and, and what uh, what led you to that, that uh, position. Oh, wow. It's, uh, you know, I started out at Bell Laboratories and maybe your uh, listeners who are over 50 years old and remember what Bell Laboratories was. It was the premier R&D research arm of the Bell system. Uh, you know, renowned for figuring out how old the universe was, lasers, the first transistors. And I was fortunate enough to work for Bell Laboratories for 18 years. And my primary focus was the development of uh, power systems. And if you think about fuel cells, for example, power systems are quite, uh, quite, a, quite a good field to get a start in to move you into fuel cell space. Uh, then, Matt, I uh, went and started a company with two buddies and a company that powers most of broadband, about 30 percent of broadband in the U.S. for outdoor applications. Uh, the building I'm sitting in is probably powered by a uh, Valier power piece of equipment. It's still the premier technology. It was a company I started with a couple of friends. We grew to one hundred million dollars in about a six year period. We sold it. And then. Uh, I was looking for my next opportunity in life, and uh, uh, I rolled into plug about 15 years ago, and that's how I'm here. Well, that's a, that's a great story. So, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what Plug Power does. My understanding is that uh, you started, or one of the major focuses was uh, was uh, power for forklifts and and energy systems instead of kind of the old batteries that forklifts used to run around with which i understand would probably be similar to a car battery uh you you uh your plug power developed hydrogen cells to uh, run those motors is that correct yeah that is correct i think the journey is even further than that matt um Plug is actually 25 years old. And as I mentioned, I've been here for 15 years. And when I joined, it was a pure research company. Uh, You know, we had research and work going on in fuel, four different fuel cell technologies. Uh, We had, you know, lots of government projects. And, And my responsibility was, and why I was hired was to transform this company into a into a you know commercially viable business and um, you know we ended up focusing on fuel cells putting them into forklift trucks uh, and then that led us to other paths but uh, the advantages were and i think this is really interesting because when you talk about advantages for on-road vehicles for fuel cells they're actually very similar uh, you know, why did Walmart and Walmart today has over 10,000 of our units? Why did they choose this product? Because they could fuel them fast compared to a battery. They would run one and a half times longer. 
they could eliminate all the complexity of the battery room. But as we were dealing with Walmart, what we found was that, uh, you know, there really wasn't in our story. When I read the SpaceX story, in some ways, it's much more, it's very, very comparable. Uh, what we found was there really wasn't folks who could build uh, hydrogen fueling stations at scale. So we learned how to build hydrogen fueling stations. And as time has grown on, you know, we've, we've reached the point where, you know, we're building hydrogen generation systems across the country. Uh, you know, we're looking to have 70 tons available by the end of the year of green hydrogen produced by plug. We became this really incredibly vertical integrated company. Uh, today, you know, we have over 60,000 fuel cells running around in places like Amazon and Walmart. Uh, today, we've built over 180 fueling stations. Uh, today, we have joint ventures for on-road vehicles for light commercial vehicles with uh, Renault in France. Uh, you know, we have a plan to build out 500 tons of green hydrogen here in the United States by 2025. Uh, we have a JV with SK in South Korea, the third largest Korean conglomerate that build large scale stationary products. So we, you know, the, the company has gone a quite long distance. And, you know, talking about the fuel cells and forklift truck business, which isn't the sexiest business of the world, but during COVID in uh, March of 2020, about 25% of uh, food in the U.S. touched one of our products. So, you know, it's so that really is the plug story and how we got to where we are. Well, I, I think that uh, starting small and, and finding a niche that is uh, a viable niche and then expanding and growing is is a good uh, business model. And I would I would say, uh, you know, I was exposed to hydrogen fuel cell technology back because my dad, uh, his degree was in chemistry. And so he was a chemist. And so he, he had all these chemistry journals and he talked about fuel <laughs> cells back 40 years ago as being kind of the wave of the future. And I was kind of just waiting and waiting for this <laughs> to ever, you know, play out into real time. And then I got my first uh, fuel cell car about four years ago, the Toyota Mirai. And then I got my second one about a year ago. So I'm a believer in the, <laughs> in the technology. Just a, a little warning there for the listeners. But So, you know, Matt, we have something in common. My dad worked on fuel cells, too, for, for General Electric and NASA. And uh, uh, so I was exposed to fuel cells at a very young age. I wasn't really paying that much attention to what my dad was doing, but I knew he worked on it. And uh, via osmosis, I learned a lot about the technology. Yeah, well, it's it, like uh, we've been talking, it's been around for a long time. But I think um, one of the great things about putting adapting it to real life purposes is you start to see, OK, here are the little pieces that you have to create in order to build out the infrastructure to make it work on a, on a grander scale. And I, it's great to see what your company is doing on that front. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about you, uh, your company has gotten into the electrolyzer business. Does um, plug power actually manufacture those electrolyzers and uh, how, how does it, uh, you know, what's the future of that look like? Yeah. So the future electrolyzers is really bright, Matt. Um, we uh, 
we have the actually the largest factory in the world to make electrolyzer MEAs, so which is in Rochester, New York. Uh, we bought two companies which really helped propel us into that business. Uh, one was a company which was an R&D company called Giener ELX in Concord, Massachusetts. And we purchased them because they were known to have the best stack technology in the world. We then went and purchased a company in the Netherlands, which really had expertise in system development. And we really have combined those two capabilities together. Now, when you look at our sales funnel, you know, which is everything we're talking to people around the world, you know, it's over $24 billion today for electrolyzers. Now, Matt, not all that comes from the through the funnel. Usually when you talk about funnel, about 10, 15% eventually filter through. But when you look at what's going on in Europe, um, there's a big push for electrolyzers. You know, we're building a plant uh, with a company called H2 Energy in Denmark. Uh, Denmark's looking at 30 gigawatts of wind power by 2030. And they feel the best way to move energy is via hydrogen uh, versus electricity. And a lot has to do with, uh, you know, how, you know, the losses and the cost of pipes for building hydrogen out versus building electrical grid down into Germany. But, uh, you know, when you go through Europe, across the Northern Code, in the Baltics and in the North Sea, there's this huge demand for wind power and you're leveraging that wind to create electricity. And, uh, and then when you take a look at Northern Africa and thinking about solar, there's a big push in Europe in places like Tunisia to build solar farms coupled with hydrogen electro electrolyzers generating hydrogen to put that in pipelines from Northern Africa into uh, Southern Italy uh, using pipelines that exist today. So, you know, it's uh, the electrolyzer business is, uh, especially in Europe, um, a great deal of focus has been gone into the fact that it's a replacement for natural gas. It helps clean their carbon footprint up. And certainly what's going on in Ukraine has really accelerated that. And here in the U.S., and I know we'll probably get into it a bit, um, the production tax credit, which is part of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, we're already seeing can be a huge accelerator for uh, the generation of green hydrogen because uh, that act provides, uh, makes green hydrogen, you know, more competitive than natural gas today. That is pretty amazing. Well, uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, and I've got Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power, on the program today. Got so much to talk about with Andy. Uh, he's really at the cutting edge of clean energy technology, and uh, we'll be right back in just one minute. You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power, on the program today. Andy, you were just talking about the electrolyzers that your company is building out and the need for those going forward. Just for uh, the audience's sake, I, my understanding is 
one of the big problems that we have with wind and solar is that a lot of times we have uh, wind and solar power being generated, but nowhere to really send it to. And that if we have the ability to use these electrolyzers to take that energy, uh, turn it into uh, green hydrogen, then we can use that green hydrogen at a later point, uh, which would uh, basically be a good energy storage uh, uh, mechanism. Uh, and my understanding is we're building a huge storage facility in Utah that I believe is government funded, and that could store a lot of hydrogen there for all the wind and uh, solar that's being generated in the West. Um, I, I, you were talking about Denmark, and I was just in Copenhagen this summer, and and they were talking about how during the winter they are generating over a hundred percent of their energy through offshore wind. So they, I guess, they're probably that's going to go up higher, and therefore yeah. they're going to need this energy storage capacity to, uh, and that's where your green hydrogen uh, will come in, right? Yeah, you know, Matt, a uh, couple points. Uh, the first one is uh, in Denmark, what they actually are thinking about is uh, how to become a net, net exporter of energy into Europe. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, they probably have sufficient wind power to meet their needs today. But they're actually thinking about building more and more wind because it's a one of their differential advantages of uh, you know, that they see that they can be generating energy, creating hydrogen, and to be supplying that energy to Central Europe and be a replacement for Russian natural, natural gas. Here in the States, I, you know, I really, uh, I really found your comments here really interesting because if you take a look uh, where you are in California, uh, some of the best work that's been done has been done at UC Irvine. Uh, by uh, Dr. Jack Jack Brower, and some of that work talks about uh, you know how you manage wind and solar on the California grid when the California grid becomes a hundred percent renewable, and uh, you know storing hydrogen in caverns is not new. Natural gas is stored in caverns today also, but you could change those caverns in California to be storing hydrogen. And as you mentioned, using electrolyzers to create green hydrogen when the sun's shining a lot and the wind's blowing a lot and storing that for a rainy day. And when that rainy day occurs, one can think about hydrogen fuel cell plants replacing today's present peaker plants and uh, be able to generate high electricity right onto the grid uh, to support California uh, uh, during the long seasonal times where the wind and high, wind and solar's, you know, the uh, uptime's not sufficient for their needs. Uh, you're seeing the same sort of work going on around the world. You know, with SK by 2024, 2025, we'll actually have 400 megawatts of power plants to support uh the North South Korea, not North Korea. That would get me in trouble. The South Korean grid. So yeah, I had uh, Professor Jack Brower on the program a while back. Great guy, and uh, yeah, hydrogen guru. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, we, we, have, we have about four projects going on with Jack because uh, a great research facility and great, great leader in this industry. Right. Uh, yeah, I've also had uh, Mayor Rex Paris, who's a big hydrogen believer, uh, mayor of Lancaster, California, who has uh, has invested a lot in hydrogen technology. I don't know if your firm has worked at all with uh, Mayor Paris. I haven't, but we are building a green hydrogen. It's an under environmental permitting now in Mendota, California, uh, to generate uh, 30 tons. And I think we're looking to grow it to 45 tons per day of green hydrogen. You know, for your listeners, that's probably equivalent to like 90,000 gallons of gasoline per day. But that actually will be using solar power, uh, where we'll be using our electrolyzers to create green hydrogen. Uh, you know, what's really interesting, we're actually going to be using wastewater and cleaning it up in the community to be used in the electrolyzers, then circulate it back. So, uh, you know, part of that water will be able to, you know, provide the uh, needs for water for the local community. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's that pure circular loop we're looking at. And uh, as you know, uh, Matt, your state is really one of the leaders, if not the leader in the world, in hydrogen fuel cells. And it's one of the reasons we're building a hydrogen plant in California. So uh, where are we in in terms of this goal? The Biden administration had uh, created this uh, Earthshot uh, goal of making uh, one kilogram of hydrogen uh, a dollar. And I think it's now what around seven, eight dollars to make uh, a kilogram of hydrogen. Where are we in that curve of getting us closer to a dollar? So I would say that uh, we're not. You can generate hydrogen at a much lower cost than seven, eight dollars today. Um, when you look at uh, the hydrogen that's used to um, in oil refining for desulfurization. Now that hydrogen is probably about a buck 50 today. Now it's probably not to the quality you need and certainly doesn't have the CO2 footprint you need. But if you think about electrolyzer technologies and a lot of that has to do with kind of how you count that, Uh, you know, if if you think about Putting hydrogen in a pipeline, say at uh, you know, say at 40, 40 bar or so. Um, you know, if you if you're getting electricity at two cents a kilowatt hour, you can get pretty close to that uh, Earthshot numbers even today. Um, but you know, what's a real plant? And that's you know one of the things that. Uh, you know, I think about a lot is that you have to think about everybody will throw numbers like that around, uh, but you have to think about what it really takes. And, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, deliver hydrogen today, we can deliver liquid hydrogen to customers um, that cost in the four to five dollar range a kilogram today, which when you compare that to the cost, for example, of diesel, it's very, very competitive with diesel today. And the investment tax credits just make it much more competitive. I, uh, I would tell you, uh, 
Matt, you're paying too much of the tank in California <laughs> because, uh, you know, there's not enough hydrogen players in the world today. But that's about to dramatically change because uh, the level of competition for hydrogen is about to be much different. Because in reality today, there's only about two players that support hydrogen generation. And I think if you look five years from now, there'll be 10 people and competition will drive down costs. Well, that's great to hear. Some say hydrogen can never compete with electric battery technologies. Uh, what do you say to this, uh, you know, and Elon Musk's comment, <laughs> the, the fool cell? Uh, is that just trash talk from a competitor? <laughs> I, I would say this. Uh, uh, I am not a purist. Uh, I think anyone who thinks that there's one solution to our energy crisis and to our climate crisis is uh, fooling the fool, fooling people. I mean, you know, there's a great report about the uh, five scenarios that get us to net zero by 2050 that was done at Princeton. Um, and, you know, when you read those studies, uh, batteries don't solve it all. So there are areas where Hydrogen, for example, there were batteries aren't really helpful at all. And it comes to things like uh, uh, you need hydrogen for fertilizer manufacturing, for high heat to make green steel, for green concrete. Batteries solve none of those problems. Batteries don't really work for heavy duty vehicles. You know, you get to a point and this is work that real work, real life work done by DHL. Uh, you know, for like their panel trucks. And when they show that anything that goes over uh, 100 kilometers, that uh, fuel cells have a distinct advantage because of their lighter weight. And 150 kilometers, batteries are just too heavy and they, they fill their whole cargo up with batteries and not uh, packages, which is their business. And so I think when you talk to Customers like Amazon, Walmart, um, DHL, batteries are really uh, not meant for light commercial and heavy, especially heavy duty vehicles that have to go any range. Well, that's a that's a fascinating topic as to how and when we're going to roll out hydrogen technology for trucks and heavy vehicles. Um, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and we'll be right back with Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power. Uh, stay tuned. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. You're listening to a climate change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power, on the program. Uh, Andy, is the government, U.S. government, making uh, the playing field uh, level so that hydrogen has a chance to compete against, say, 
electric battery powered vehicles, because from what I see, the government is kind of putting the finger on the scale in favor of electric and has been for the last few years, just starting to kind of give some help to hydrogen doesn't look like it's quite as much. Uh, how do you compete when the uh, when the government is giving a little bit more to electric technology versus uh, hydrogen? Well, Matt, I actually think you're wrong there. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, hydrogen actually was one of the real big winners in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, you know, there are three aspects of that act which is really beneficial to hydrogen and fuel cells. One is this production tax credit uh, of $3 a kilogram for green hydrogen. It actually makes green hydrogen, um, and this is work that was based on work by Bernstein, probably the lowest cost gases liquid energy carrier in the world. Uh, it also has positioned the U.S. from a technology point of view to drive customers like companies like Plug that really invest in the development of electrolyzers and build hydrogen plants. And we're even given a great deal of thought how you can export globally hydrogen generated in the United States. So it really, you know, that credit uh, should not be understated. Uh, there's also great, we talked a little about storage. There's actually some uh, great enhancements to storage credits, which are part of the bill. And third, uh, the fuel cell investment tax credit for 10 years, which provides users a 30% um, tax credit for fuel cells, uh, is really beneficial. And top that off with the extension for solar and wind. Uh, which makes the electrical cost for solar and wind, you know, provide a steady footprint. I mean, I've seen numbers out there at 50, you know, 1.5 cents kilowatt hour for solar uh, post this bill. That generates, helps generate really low cost green hydrogen. I personally think uh, uh, the work done by people like Senator Schumer, Senator Manchin, uh, the White House, in the Inflation Reduction Act has really give hydrogen a real push. And then when you look at the infrastructure bill, Matt, there was $8 billion for building hydrogen hubs and another billion dollars associated with electrolyzer R&D. So, uh, you know, you couldn't find, yeah, I'm also the chairman of the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association, and we're actually thrilled by what the government did to really help accelerate this industry i guess i'm i'm thinking more retrospectively than than this uh last six months uh definitely things have have uh kicked into gear for for hydrogen but uh i i would i'd ask you to tell the audience a little bit more about hydrogen hubs and why these are important and what do they mean yeah i think high you know uh there will be in the united states uh probably a build out of four to six large hydrogen hubs, uh, which will be a place that uh, where hydrogen will be generated. There'll be a place where hydrogen will be distributed, uh, which will be make it easier for fuel cells to be leveraged. Uh, there'll be four of these hubs in the United States, which will become kind of the uh, building blocks for building out the hydrogen economy. 
Uh, you know, if I was a betting man, I would think there's going to be one in California, probably one in Texas, uh, probably uh, one in West Virginia, uh, and probably one in uh, the Northeast. And I think all those will be hubs, uh, which will be demonstrating uh, a multitude of ways to generate hydrogen, both from green hydrogen, both green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, as well as being um, the baseline for uh, really accelerating the deployments of fuel cell vehicles and usage of hydrogen for a variety of applications. So in terms of uh, renewables and uh, generation of wind and, and solar energy, uh, am I kind of uh, going a little bit too far and thinking at, at some point in time in, in the not so distant future, we're going to be generating so much renewable power that we can make green hydrogen uh, at scale to to power um, you know all the vehicles that we need in our economy. Is that is that day? Uh, how far out is that day? Well, as I you know I I think that day sooner than you think, Matt. I think there's. You know, there's work going on with by plug to generate green hydrogen nationwide. There's people like Nextera. There's all sorts of folks working and looking to build out. You mentioned the large project with uh, Mitsubishi with storage and uh, and using uh, electrical generation with uh, present day gas turbines with uh, hydrogen. So that day is um, probably much sooner than you think. And, you know, I don't worry too much about uh, the capabilities of uh, how you go build out uh, facilities to build electrolyzers. I think probably the biggest challenge is uh, how fast the solar and wind rollout is in the United States. And, um, you know, it's, you know, I think that when you look at the numbers, it doesn't really... um, scare you. I think the biggest year for solar and wind was 2020 or 2019. And I think you look back at those numbers and how much more we have to start producing each year. It's not a number that, uh, you know, as an engineer, I'm not floored by the increase that's required for us to do that. So it's, you know, it's going to be a journey between now and 2030, which will accelerate rapidly and then even faster between 2030 to 2050 to get the net zero to where we're at a point where, you know, people like Bloomberg and McKinsey talk about 20% of world energy coming from hydrogen, whether it's 15% or 25%, I think the build out will be pretty rapid as we go towards these net zero goals. And look, you see what's what's going on in Florida today, the the horrific uh, storm, uh, you know, there's a, you know, obviously you can't say that was climate change, but it certainly has had an impact for making the ocean warmer and making uh, these storms uh, more dangerous. Yeah, it's it's certainly a scary situation and, and we need to do something and we need to do something fast because we only have one planet and if we screw it up, uh, there's no going back. Uh, as far as hydrogen-powered airplanes, ships, trucks, is that a is that a business area that uh, Plug is investigating, or are you going to leave that to others to? I, I, we've actually not only uh, 
we have a lot of interesting work going on in planes. Uh, we've invested in a company called Universal Hydrogen. Um, we've have other, we have a couple other investments in companies and we're developing products for uh, those applications. And I can tell you, um, you know, as a, you know, I'm an engineer, Matt, so I, I they're really my forward looking work activity. And, you know, I was uh, with my team earlier in the day talking about how we can re reduce the weight of fuel cells by, you know, up to 75%. And, you know, that would be beneficial, obviously, for aircraft. But, you know, lighter weight, higher efficiency, longer range is good for every application, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're investing a lot of times in planes. Um, you know, we, as I think we talked about, you know, we have our JV with Renault for vehicles, uh, you know, shipping, I haven't done a lot in, I, I saw that, uh, a train that, uh, we have some products running in actually ran for the first time yesterday. So that's a, that's a, uh, that's a new scoop there, Matt. And, uh, you know, so, you know, all those applications where, lightweight, durability, long range. You know, we were involved and fuel cells are really interesting. I haven't dug deep in the ships yet, but uh, I think ships are really probably green ammonia uh, mm. is probably the right solutions for long distance shipping. Ferries probably are for fuel cells, but uh, you know, green ammonia made with hydrogen and nitrogen, green hydrogen and nitrogen, I think is a real interesting market. And I think that green ammonia running ships, uh, especially for long haul, is probably the answer when you see the work going on. We're also involved with Airbus looking to looking to position the first hydrogen hub for hydrogen generation for planes for Airbus. So that's work we have going on. Well, that's exciting. Uh, so will they need to re-engineer the entire plane to make that work? Or is that something that uh, can be done with an existing uh, plane that's a kind of a gas uh, using, yeah. uh, you know, plane? Yeah. So Universal Hydrogen, which is doing really interesting work, is developing a retrofit kit uh, to uh, essentially for uh for regional aircraft, which essentially allows you to, uh, you know, roll and change out the uh, uh, the roll in liquid hydrogen, uh, and to make certain changes, you, you know, when you would normally retrofit an airplane and retrofit it up to hydrogen. So uh, it is a change out, but it is pretty straightforward. Uh, well, that's that's an amazing uh, potential because obviously you know, building the entire worldwide aircraft fleet from, from scratch would take a tremendous amount of uh, time. Uh, so if we can retrofit those planes without having to kind of, you know, go back to square one, that would be incredible. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to uh, A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host. And I've got uh, Andy Marsh on the program, CEO of Plug Power, and we'll be back in just one minute to uh, talk to Andy about uh, a number of other topics. You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and I've got Andy Marsh on the program, uh, CEO of Plug Power. Andy, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about the missions 
and goals of plug power, say for three years, five years, 10 years, where do you see the company going? I mean, obviously some of it's kind of unknowable because the technology is changing, you're acquiring different companies, but uh, kind of just general directional trends, where do you see uh, where do you see the company going? So Matt, we've been really clear that by 2025, we're going to be able to achieve $3 billion in revenue. And that'll be profitable revenue. But how we get there really has a lot to do with some of the basic work we're doing today. Uh, one is that, uh, as we talked about, we're building out this green hydrogen network across the United States. We're, we're beginning to build our own hydrogen generation plants in Europe, for example, at the Port of Antwerp, having low cost green hydrogen available uh, will be a great accelerator for our fuel cell market. And uh, you know, we have some exciting projects, products going on there. Uh, one is the continual refinement and improvements in our material handling business, where uh, now, we envision 25% of forklift trucks by 2030 could ultimately be ran on fuel cells. We think a great deal about, uh, you know, stationary products. Uh, we've done, uh, you know, with Microsoft, we've done some leading edge work developing uh, fuel cell products that could be integrated with data centers. And, you know, every major uh, Every major data center company in the world has been engaged with us on this product development activity, as well as. Um, Can you know, I stop our, you right there for a second on the yeah. data center front? Because we know that data centers uh, consume an enormous amount of power, and I assume it's just going up exponentially uh, as every year. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why this is a good product for data centers. Well, first, Matt, is that. Uh, you know, you have cut, let's talk about Microsoft, who's been the most public about it. And uh, Microsoft today uh, uses, uh, you know, about 30 megawatts of diesel generators at their site. And, uh, you know, you can, because you have to make sure they work, they run probably only an hour a day normally, but as you have long blackouts in California, you know, they have to back up these 30 megawatt data centers. And uh, when you think about, you know, their goals to be clean, um, that uh, fuel cells and hydrogen uh, are really the only solution for them to uh, uh, have meet their net zero goals. Uh, it also, you know, when we look over time, over the next five years, you can see that that technology can be cost competitive uh, with diesel technology. On top of that, Matt, you can, you know, we talked a little bit about how you support the grid. Uh, they can use them as peaker plants so that uh, when the electricity bill is, electricity coming as high, uh, you know, they can use their own internal generated hydrogen fuel cells to power the data centers and not have to pay peak charges. Top of that, they can actually use it and leverage it to put electricity back on the grid. That's why people like Microsoft were so excited 
Uh, and for your listeners, if you Google Plug Power Microsoft, you'll see some really incredible uh, descriptions of what Microsoft and Plug Power are looking to do together. So that's so, a real growth opportunity. So would these uh, data centers then become like little power plants yeah. that could contribute to the grid uh, during peak hours and, and contribute more green energy to the grid? Absolutely. You know, think, think about them as microcells. It is really cool. Yeah, I mean, we've talked uh, about microgrids on the program a number of times with lots of different guests and different pieces of this economy. And uh, it seems as though it is the future to have, uh, you know, many different nodes of power versus yeah. one major utility provider. Yeah. And, you know, next year, you know, we're in position, uh, I met this week with the team, you know, to have 60 megawatts of that deployed next year. Doesn't sound like a big number, but it's a big start from zero. And uh, it's been it's been some of the more, more interesting work we've done. And we talked about the electrolyzer business, Matt. Um, the electrolyzer business is not a demand issue. It's it's actually a supply issue. We got to, you know, we could sell everything we got uh, in the electrolyzer business because the demand for um, green hydrogen to replace other fuels and other chemicals, you know, is, you know, you can't, you can't really put a number around it, but uh, think about ammonia manufacturing, which has become really critical during this uh, terrible war in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, we're already working with the green ammonia, ammonia manufacturers to uh, generate green ammonia and get rid of the using usage of natural gas. It's so probably, how, let me ask you, I've drilled down on that a bit yeah. more. Uh, should, how, should the market be responding to that and, and, uh, and investing tens of billions of dollars in additional funds in that technology? So we build out more electrolyzers or is that government's role or where should we be on that front? So Matt, I think it is, uh, I think the government is the U.S. government's actually done the work, and it's up to uh, companies like Plug uh, to sell our, develop our products, and sell our wares. And uh, there is customer pull. I have, uh, you know, the U.S. I have no um, <laughs> no complaints about the government support. Mm -hmm. I think in Europe there's a great commitment, uh, and there is a. Uh, Certainly a lot of activity going on in Europe in both green ammonia, uh, injecting of hydrogen into natural gas pipelines. And, uh, you know, in the U.S. it's kind of easier because there's, you know, it's less dependent upon government programs. Um, you know, it's much more market-based. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of it resides with people who, like me, and all the people that work for me about uh, how to make this happen. Well, I'm going to ask you in terms of uh, technology, hydrogen technology in cars, uh, Toyota has invested heavily in it and they're doing it. Uh, you'd say Renault is involved in it. Uh, where are they in that process? Yeah. So we have a JV. We're actually focused on, uh, and I'm a believer that uh, 
Sorry, Matt, I know you own two cars here. Uh, I, I think cars are probably more like a 2035, uh, just because of the availability of things like fueling stations. I know California's done a good job, but the value proposition is strongest for commercial vehicles, where the advantages of fast charging, the advantages of longer range, the advantages of weight, of weight you know, are just so overwhelming that the value proposition is so far superior to batteries. Uh, you know, it kind of comes down to the fact that uh, you can keep the vehicle on the road all the time if you're using fuel cells uh, without having to worry about charging. You can put more goods on board with fuel cells than you can with batteries because they're lighter weight and they can go twice as long as batteries and the value proposition if you're running a commercial enterprise that's where you're going to see fuel cells dominate eventually i think when you get to around 2035 um, you know there's a lot of people who uh, you know in california i think only about 15 percent of people i've seen data could actually charge cars at their home they live it and I, I think that's a real limit. And I think that some of these advantages of fuel cells where, you know, fueling looks a lot more like what you do at gasoline stations today has a lot of advantages. Well, in terms of trucks and uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, larger vehicles, where are we as far as getting that technology in trucks? Because obviously we have tens of millions of trucks on the road. Uh, we got to manufacture a lot of fuel cells to kind of uh, make a dent in those emissions, right? So a lot of good work, work going on. And and there are a lot of companies working on heavy-duty vehicles. Um, but I think that when you think about, and, and I think there's a lot more advantages of emissions. Um, you know, I can tell you when we look at it, uh, there is a lot of customer pull at places like Walmart and Amazon to move everything from class six to eight vehicles uh, to fuel cells so that they can meet their net zero goals. Uh, I think you'll probably see more rollouts in the next three, four years. In Europe, we expect to have about 100,000 light commercial vehicles on the road for like Amazon Prime products that look like that. Uh, to be delivering packages. Uh, so uh, I think between now and 2030 in the commercial vehicle market, you're going to see uh, a lot of activity. Well, Andy, uh, great having you on the program. Uh, Andy Marsh, CEO of Plug Power. You've been listening to a climate change. Uh, this is Matt Mattern. And uh, Andy, thank you again. Love to have you on the program uh, to talk more about this exciting technology. Thanks for having me, Matt. I enjoyed talking to you today. Okay, well, it's been fantastic. Have a great day and uh, tune back in next week.
As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 